Our sermon text this week comes from Luke chapter 11, verses 1 through 13. It is printed for you in the insert of your bulletin, and I will read that for us, and you are welcome to follow along on the insert and point out to me all the errors I made after church if you do follow along. So it's kind of like a game, a challenge, so to speak. Um, from Luke 11, 1 through 13. Now Jesus was praying in a certain place, and when he finished, one of his disciples said to him, Lord, teach us to pray as John taught his disciples. And he said to them, when you pray, say, Father, hallowed be your name, your kingdom come. Give us each day our daily bread and forgive us our sins. For we ourselves, for we ourselves forgive everyone who is indebted to us and lead us not in temptation. For he said to them, which of you who has a friend will go to him at midnight and say to him, friend, lend me three loaves for a friend of mine has arrived on a journey and I have nothing to set before him. And he will answer from within, do not bother me. The door is now shut and my children are with me in bed. I cannot get up and give you anything. I tell you, though he will not get up and give him anything because he is his friend, yet because of his impudence, he will rise and give him whatever he needs. And I tell you, ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock and it will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives and the one Who seeks, finds, and to the one who knocks, it will be opened. What father among you, if his son asks for a fish, will instead give him a serpent? And if he asks for an egg, will give him a scorpion? If you then, who are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will the Heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask? As your people and worship you, we thank you also for the gifts you have showered upon us and the ways in which you have provided for all of our temporal needs in this life. And so now we return to you these gifts, these tithes, these offerings. We return to you because they first come to us from your hand. We return them to you asking that you would use them in order that your kingdom would be advanced upon this earth, in order that the wonderful good news of the gospel would be proclaimed to all the nations. And Father, as we proclaim pray that the gospel would indeed be proclaimed to all the nations. We pray this morning that it would be proclaimed to us as we prepare to sit beneath the teaching of your word. Father, we pray that beneath your teaching, we would understand and realize that no matter how we come this morning, distracted and burdened, skeptical and doubting, anxious to be with your people, that no matter how we come this morning, that we really are all the same because we are all far more broken than we know. And we also all stand in need of the very same thing. We stand in need of the good news to know that though we are far more broken than we know, that because of Jesus, his person and his work, we are also far more loved and far more accepted, far more secure than we could have ever dreamed possible. And so we pray this morning that you would help us Give to us the eyes of faith that we might see the Lord Jesus Christ, in whose name we do pray. Amen. Please be seated. <clears throat> At this time, we'd like to dismiss our children ages three to six to Children's Church, and so if they can make their way out the back of the sanctuary at this time. Um, right now, we are in a series where we are traveling through Luke's gospel, and we're making our way through Luke's gospel by looking at the stories that Jesus told in Luke's gospel, oftentimes referred to as 
his parables. And this morning, we're looking at the story that Jesus told in Luke chapter 11. Um, we read the first part of that chapter so that you can kind of get the context, right? Jesus' disciples have come and they've asked him, Jesus, teach us how to pray. And there Jesus gives his disciples the familiar Lord's Prayer. Um, and we're actually not going to look at that this morning. About a year ago, I did like a six-part series on the Lord's Prayer. So I really want to focus our attention on verses 5 and following, where we really get the parable, the story that Jesus told. And here he is continuing to talk to his followers about prayer. You know, for last week's uh, parable, I used a quote um, from the Sons of Anarchy to introduce our discussion. And this week, I'm going to push the boundaries again because um, I want to talk to you about another hit TV show on AMC uh, called Breaking Bad. Um, and don't worry, this isn't a plot spoiler if you haven't watched it and plan to watch it. Um, not that I'm recommending it, right? Okay. Um, disclaimer, it's on the CD. I'm not recommending it. But anyway, as your people and worship you, we thank you also for the gifts you have showered. A mystery teacher uh, named Walter White, and um, he broke bad. And uh, he started using his chemistry knowledge to produce... Uh, crystal meth, right? And the show's creator, this guy named Vince Gilligan, his goal in making the show was as your people and worship you. We thank you also for the gifts you have showered as your people and worship you. We thank you also for the gifts you have showered. Who continually is making these choices in his life that is ultimately leading him down a path of destruction. It choices that over time, transform this guy in front of your eyes to, to becoming this hard, ruthless, callous, violent villain in the show. And he's transformed over time, as you watch this, into really this inhuman monster of a man. And so listen, the natural reaction when you're watching this show is that you start longing for justice. I mean, you... And that's what Vince Gilligan, the creator, he wants you to feel as you're watching this show. He has become so inhuman, so monstrous, such a terrible villain that you start longing for it all to catch up with him. Right? So much so that you are longing for this character to die. You want justice. Okay, so you get the picture, right? Over time, any sympathy that you might have had for this man has died along the way. But in the very last episode, again, I'm not giving anything away here, I don't think. But in the very last episode, there's this very brief scene where this inhuman monster of a man is in this car. And he's trying to start the car. And he can't get the car started. And in that scene, he utters the very briefest of prayers in that car. He looks up and he prays, just get me home and I'll take care of the rest. Things are starting to catch up with this character, right? And his life is crumbling before him. It's what you've been rooting for all along in this, the, this show, right? But something happens. Something happens when this vile, hardened villain prays. And what happens as you're watching this is that immediately your heart softens towards him. All of a sudden, he's... Small and needy and fragile. 
And in that brief moment when he prays, you get a glimpse again of his humanity. That's what Vince Gilligan wanted you to see. You know, Christian or not, I think we all kind of get that. What's going on there? Even if we can't quite put our finger on why that's true. You know, even if you don't believe in prayer, listen, Vince Gilligan, the creator of that show, I've watched several interviews with him. He is most definitely not a Christian. He's an agnostic, right? But listen, just like you, he knows that the way to show the humanity of this character is to show him praying when his life is falling apart. Right? Christian or not, we all get it. There is something deeply human about prayer. About making a move towards admitting your powerlessness, right? My guess is that most of us, when we hear the word prayer, the word religious probably pops in our minds or something like that. And you, and you know what? Maybe that's what the disciples of Jesus had in mind first when they came to ask Jesus, tell us, teach us how to pray. But I think that if you pay attention to, to Jesus' instruction here, you will find that it's actually deeply humanizing what he is telling us to do. Right? That prayer is actually a clue to who you are and what you are meant to be in this life. So if you would walk with me through this passage and listen to Jesus' instruction, because he tells us two things here. He tells us how to pray, and he tells us why to pray. So first, let's consider together pretty briefly how to pray. There's no real reason to beat around the bush here. I mean, the simple point that Jesus is driving home in the story of a man who goes and knocks on the door of his friend to give him bread in the middle of the night, it it really is simply this. Jesus is talking about the boldness and the shamelessness of prayer, right? And the persistence of it. How should you pray? Jesus is saying, pray boldly, pray persistently, pray shamelessly. See how unrelenting and bold this friend is who keeps knocking at the door until he gets what he wants. And then let me point out this too. When you get down to verse 9 of our passage, Jesus hits a square in the eyes with some commands about prayer, right? He says, and I tell you, ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock. And the door will be open to you. Now, the interesting thing there about those verbs is the verbs ask, seek and knock. Right. Is that in the Greek, they're in the present active imperative voice. And what that means for you is this. Right. It, it, It means that what they are describing is a continuous action. So a better translation would be Jesus telling us this. I tell you, keep on asking. And it will be given to you. Keep on seeking. And you will find keep on knocking and will be open to you. Bold, persistent, shameless prayer. That's the simple point of this story. I mean, this man in this story, he goes to his friend, but he doesn't go to his friend in the middle of the night with an emergency. Right. He goes to his friend in the middle of the night because someone's come. A guest has come to his house and he wants to entertain that guest. And he interrupts his friend in the middle of the night. And this man, he's wiping the sleep from his eyes. Right. And he yells out to his friend in verse seven, do not bother me. The door is now shut and my children are with me in bed. I cannot get up and give you anything. And so you get the picture, right? This guy is saying, leave me alone. You know, you're annoying me. You're going to wake up everybody in my house. Leave, go away. And this is what Jesus says about this little story in verse eight. He says, I tell you. Though he will not get up and give him anything because he is his friend. 
Yet because of his impudence, he will rise and give him whatever he needs. Right? Look, what Jesus is saying is saying he is not going to give him give him bread because they are friends. He is not going to give him bread because he sympathizes with this man's needs. He is not going to give him give him bread because they have a history together. He's not going to give him bread because he wants to do his friend a favor. Jesus says he will answer the door and he'll toss out the bread because of his impudence, right? And that word means boldness. Or or you might even, as one scholar has already hinted at already, translates it, his shamelessness. To keep on asking, to keep on knocking, to keep on seeking. Listen, this, this is kind of startling. I think when you realize what's happening here, when you realize what Jesus is actually doing here, I mean, these parables, as we've said all along, they're stories of the kingdom. They're teaching us something about Jesus's kingdom. And to Jesus, this is such an important principle for you to understand. That he risks comparing the God of the universe, the holy, holy, holy God, his father to an unsympathetic friend. To an uncaring friend. Right, what, what is Jesus telling us about how to pray? He is saying, be bold in prayer. He is saying, wear my father out. Don't quit. Keep on asking. Keep on seeking. Keep on knocking. Are you desperate for comfort in this life? For understanding, for mercy, for wisdom? Don't be afraid to bang on the door, Jesus is saying. Ask and keep on asking. Are you longing for change in your life, to see God at work in your life, to grow in this life? Then keep on seeking, Jesus is saying. Do not give up. Are you anxious, needing contentment? Are you longing to live in the freedom of the gospel? Are you weary, in need of hope? Jesus is saying, knock and keep on knocking. Don't quit until you get an answer. You know, when I was thinking about this this past week, I was thinking... Okay, I, I get that that's the point of the parable, but I'm not really sure how well that sits with me. I mean, some of you might be thinking the same kind of thing, because what kind of a God is this? You know, why do I have to keep coming back again and again and again? I mean, some of you immediately are thinking, yep, this is why I don't like Christianity. Because, I mean, it feels like Jesus wants me to grovel, and it feels like Jesus wants me to beg and just be generally pitiful in this life. Right. Is God really this insecure? Right. That he needs me to beg again and again before he answers me. And and I get how you can think that. But bear with me just for a second and think about this from another angle. You know, it's hard to believe that we are less than two weeks now away from Thanksgiving. And Thanksgiving is an important holiday. But one reason it's really important, especially for my kids, is that when we hit Thanksgiving, we have turned the corner towards Christmas. And that's a big deal, uh, right? And, um, and I just want to present you with a very hypothetical uh, situation here uh, in my house. Let's just say, for the sake of argument, that when my kids know that Christmas is coming, they're going to start to get really excited about Christmas presents. Not that my kids are, are that materialistic or anything. Um, or yours, I'm sure. But... Um, Again, just for the sake of argument, let's just say that I had a child who has been begging me for months for this new Lego thing. He's in children's church. He can't hear me. 
Or this daughter has been begging me for this particular doll. American something or another. Really expensive. But, um, you know, when they get that in their minds, right, they don't just ask once. <laughs> they ask over and over and over again, right? I mean, they keep mentioning that specific toy and dropping it in conversations, right? And, and they tell you where that toy can be purchased. It's at Walmart on this aisle or Target or wherever you shop, you know. And they call you into the room when it shows up on the commercial and, and the TV show that they're watching, right? They won't let it go. This is what I want for Christmas. You can stay with me in my hypothetical scenario here. You know, what if? What if I had decided as their parent, the moment they first ask for that Lego thing or that doll thing, that's what I'm going to get them for Christmas. And maybe I even already purchased it, and it's hidden somewhere in the house, right? Hoping that they won't find it. But do you realize that each and every time he or she asks for that toy, even though I've already purchased it, even though I've already decided to get it, that every time they ask, it adds to my joy. It adds to my delight. And my supreme delight is not in their asking. My supreme delight is in the giving. And asking only increases that delight, right? I mean, it's like compound interest every time they ask. Exponentially building the anticipation and the delight of that morning when they come down and they open that present underneath the tree. Now, What if, just what if, what if the greatest delight of God's heart was giving? And the very essence of His glory was His grace. What if that were true? I mean, and what if God wasn't insecure at all, but absolutely so passionately loved to give that He wanted you to keep on asking to add both to His joy and to your joy. And what if God wasn't so much wanting you to grovel and beg, but to be so convinced that He is a God who absolutely delights in giving to His children that you would never stop asking, that you would never stop pulling on His leg, that you would never stop coming to Him with your request. If that were the case, would you be bold to the point of shamelessness? Would you knock until the door was answered? The point of Jesus' parable here isn't God gives gifts unsympathetically like this friend. The point of this parable, rather, is how you should go to God in prayer. Boldly, shamelessly, constantly, because He is a God who loves to give. Do you see how indiscriminate God's grace is here in this passage? Especially when you get to verse 10. For everyone, everyone who asks receives and the one who seeks finds and to the one who knocks it will be opened he is saying whoever you are whatever baggage you bring to the table everyone who asks receives because the heart of this god is in his giving grace now second i think the remainder in the remainder of our passage jesus is giving us giving us a case for why we should pray here's how you should pray boldly and shamelessly but why Jesus basically says in this last part of this story, he says, think about it like this. He says, think about your kids, right? 
And I wonder if you realize this. That when they boldly and shamelessly ask of you, it is not a sign of distrust, but a sign of trust. Children, Jesus is saying in, in, in this last section, he's saying they keep on asking with boldness because they are convinced of their parents' goodness and of their parents' wisdom in giving to their children. And so those are really the two reasons for praying boldly that I want you to consider. One, because of God's goodness. And two, because of God's wisdom. Just listen again to the metaphor Jesus picks up in verses 11 through 13. He says, What father among you, if his son asks for a fish, will instead of a fish give him a serpent? Or if he asks for an egg, will give him a scorpion? If you then, who are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will the Heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask Him? There's no need to get into it all here, but this is a technical form of an argument that Jesus is making, right? It's an argument from the lesser to the greater, right? If you, then how much more will my Father, Jesus is saying. Let me give you the completely unauthorized, this is the Nathan Turkey version of what Jesus is saying here. He is saying to you, take a look in the mirror. You are flawed. You are broken. You are wicked to the core. You are consumed with yourself, right? And if someone self, as self-centered as you are, I mean, because let's be honest, right? All you want sometimes is for your kids to just be quiet and go to bed. Not for their good, but for your good. Right? You are totally wrapped around yourself. Right? Someone like you who mimics piousness, right? And talks about how children are a blessing and all, all this kind of stuff. But secretly and often thinks, my kids are really getting in the way of my life. If you haven't thought it, I've thought it, right? So so if someone evil like you, Jesus is saying, someone evil like you knows how to give good gifts to your children, Jesus is saying, my father will blow your doors off in comparison, right? He he is utterly and completely other-centered, right? He is entirely good and righteous and loving. How much more will he give good gifts to his children when they ask him? We... You know, we always want the preacher to be clear about application. And and here the preacher is Jesus. And here's his application. He is saying when you become convinced of God's goodness, when you become deeply convinced of his goodness, you will pray like this boldly and persistently and shamelessly. God is your father and he longs to give you nothing but good gifts. You know, there are two amazing stories in Genesis that I thought of this past week that actually paint a great picture for us of what it looks like to be relentless with God in prayer because we are deeply convinced of his goodness. You know, one involves the character of Abraham. It's in Genesis chapter 18, and God says to Abraham, basically, I'm getting ready to destroy Sodom and Gomorrah. You know that place where your relatives live. I'm getting ready to destroy it. It has become so wicked that I'm going to wipe it off the face of the earth. It's a true story. And Abraham, he bowed up to that. Right? He got bold and he said, what if you find 50 righteous people there? And God said, "Okay, if I find 50 righteous people there, I won't destroy it. And then Abraham said, well, what if you find 45 righteous people there? God said, "Okay, I won't destroy it if I find 45 righteous people there. Go back and read it in Genesis chapter 18. Abraham says, "Okay, what about 40? What about 30? What about 20? What about 10? 
So convinced was Abraham of God's goodness that he kept on asking, right? That he kept on knocking. He was bold, he was relentless, and he was shameless because he was convinced of God's goodness. The other story that I'm thinking about is in comes in Genesis chapter 32. I'm giving you these references so you can go read these stories for yourself and know that I'm not making them up. This is the story when Jacob wrestled with God, right? He walked with a limp for the rest of his life after this event, after this wrestling match. But what's fascinating in that story is that Jacob said, said to God, I will not let you go unless you bless me. And that's when Jacob received a new name and a blessing. God said, your name will no longer be Jacob, but Israel, because you have struggled with God and with men and have overcome. Jacob knew and he was utterly convinced of God's goodness, convinced that God could and would bless him. And so he never let go. He wrestled and wrestled until the Lord blessed him shamelessly and boldly. He never gave up because he was deeply convinced of the goodness of God. Jesus is saying, Wear my father out. And he isn't trying to give us, you know, some kind of cold, calculated formula or anything like that. It, you know, it's not like he's saying, you know, OK, you know, you crack the code. Ask number 72. Here you go. No, he's saying it's deeply relational, right? It's because you trust and are deeply convinced of his goodness. Wear my father out because he is good and he loves to give good gifts to his children. But here's what happens for some of you. When you hear this, you start thinking, but I've done that. I have prayed and I have prayed and I have prayed and God has not given me the things I wanted. And some of you, even right now, are bitter at God for this very thing. And that's why you need to be deeply convinced not only of God's goodness, but also of his wisdom. See, verse 11, what father among you, if his son asks for a fish, will instead give give instead of a fish, give him a serpent? Or if he asks for an egg, will give him a scorpion. And I hope you see what's implied there in that question. Not only would you not give your son a poisonous serpent when he asks for a fish or, or the scorpion when he asks for an egg, but you also wouldn't give him a poisonous serpent if he asked for a poisonous serpent. And you wouldn't give him a stinging and deadly scorpion if he asked for a deadly scorpion. You know, if I can be honest with you just for a second, there are things in my life that I have prayed and prayed and prayed for what I thought were good in my life. I can remember, this was before I, before I dated Jennifer, I was so convinced that I was supposed to marry this one girl. And I prayed and I prayed and I prayed about it. And I thank Jesus that he did not give me what I asked for. Right. This is how amazingly good and wise your father is in heaven. Jesus is saying he gives you what you would have asked if you knew what to ask for. Right. He's not going to give you a scorpion if you ask for a scorpion and he won't give you a snake if you ask for a snake. If I'm not being clear here, when God is not giving you your request, the things you are praying for, do you know what that means? It means that without knowing it. You're asking for a snake and God's not going to give it to you. He is wise and good to even withhold from you and me the things we ask. Look, the Apostle Paul, kind of a big deal in the Bible, right? Um, wrote more books in your New Testament than any other author. 
Big deal. And in his letter to the Corinthians, he says that he prayed repeatedly, relentlessly for God to take away what he called a thorn in his flesh. You know, we don't know what that thorn was, but it was obviously something extremely painful. I mean, he calls it a thorn in the flesh for starters. Uh, But here's what else he calls it. A messenger of Satan sent to torment me. Okay, that's serious for the Apostle Paul to say that. And he prayed and he prayed and he prayed that God would take it away. And then he tells us that God spoke to him and said this to him. God said, my grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. In other words, God was saying to Paul, no, I'm not going to take that thorn away from you. Why? Because I have something far better in mind for you. Something you are too limited and too finite to be able to see. I want to showcase my glory. I want to showcase my grace. I want to showcase my power through you. You know, this is why hindsight in your life is always 2020, right? Why you and I often get down the road and think at that at that particular moment in my life, all I wanted to do was get out. All I wanted was for God to change these circumstances in my life. I prayed and I prayed. I was so miserable and I thought all I wanted to do was get out, get out. And I thought I knew what was best. But thank God he doesn't give us scorpions when we ask for scorpions. Or snakes when we ask for snakes. Listen, and you see and you look back on your life and you see how those events and those trials and the uncomfortable pain of your life has shaped you. And to who you have become to be in God's grace. You know, at my house, we're still dealing with um, still dealing with the aftermath of Halloween and trick or treating candy uh, at my house. Um, You know, with each of our children, when they were growing up, we waited as long as we could as parents to give our kids sugar. (laughs) Because once you give a child sugar, there's no going back. Um, They taste that. And they don't want anything else, right? And, 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 you know, Halloween candy, trying to limit the amount of candy that we give our kids. You know, we keep the bags up and out of reach of our children in our house. You know, when we break them out for, you know, a snack after supper or something like that, it is like, it's like rationing off bread after the apocalypse or something. You know, it's just one piece of candy. They can't believe it. But, you know, all they can see is that bowl that's overflowing with candy, those shiny wrappers, you know, promising, you know, instant gratification and sugar highs and cavities and all that. Um, You know, you can't leave a six-year-old alone with a bowl of candy. Um, See, parents, they have to think, right? They have to think, I know you want this candy. I know you want this candy, and you think that it will make you happy. And see, parents have to process through this, right? But we have better things in mind for you. Uh, So we're going to make you eat your dinner. And make you eat your vegetables and your chicken and drink your milk and all this kind of stuff. Because guess what? You know, we want to give you good gifts. Like, I don't know, maybe living to 10 years old and not becoming a diabetic and having all your teeth uh, later on in life. Um, You know, I'm sorry for all the kid illustrations this morning, but that is so at the heart of what Jesus is saying here when he's talking about prayer. Right. Jesus is saying, come boldly like a child to my father. Because he is both good and wise. He loves to give and he always gives you exactly what you need if you knew what to ask him. But now listen, just real quick before we end. The gospel writer Matthew, 
You know, he tells us that Jesus used nearly the same exact story of a father giving gifts to his children. And he gave and Matthew gives us a real general application, right? Namely, that God gives good gifts to his children. And that's true. And we've talked about that. But Luke tells us that on this occasion, Jesus got real specific. And he said at the end of verse 13 that his father would give the Holy Spirit to all those who ask him. Let me give you a very brief big picture Bible lesson here. In the Old Testament, there was this huge, huge promise that the prophets talked about. The promise of a new covenant, of a new day that was dawning, right? Of a new and glorious day that was coming. A promise that we would be given new hearts. That was the promise that all of them looked forward to. And talking about this promise, for example, Ezekiel said this, or or he quoted God saying in that day, I will put a new spirit in them. I will remove from them their heart of stone and give to them a heart of flesh. Do you know what sin has done to you and to me? It has hardened our hearts. It has turned our hearts to stone It has made us callous, right? It never makes you more human, though that's what you often think about sin when you're tempted, that I'll be more alive, more human. Sin always breaks us, always turns us more inhuman and more monstrous. And God says, when I pour out my spirit, I will be restoring humanity to its fullness. I'll make you what you were meant to be. Come to me boldly like trusting children. I don't promise to give you more money, more things, easier circumstances in life, but I do promise to turn your heart of stone into a heart of flesh. I promise to restore humanity and make your heart beat again. Why does your heart soften to a monstrous, ruthless villain like Walter White in Breaking Bad when he prays? When he becomes, just for a moment, small and needy and fragile. It's because he is, at that moment, most human. Because at that moment, he's most like a child. Listen, do I think that we, we have said everything this morning that can be said about prayer? Absolutely not. But even when you have been bitter because God doesn't seem to be answering your continual asking and seeking. I want you to think about this. Several chapters later in Luke's gospel on the cross, Jesus prays and utters a very, very simple prayer. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And the silence that met that question was deafening. His prayer was unanswered and he was forsaken on the cross. Why? Because he was being forsaken in your place and mine. Why? Because through Jesus' sacrifice, God was giving you access to himself. Because through Jesus' sacrifice, God was redeeming his children. Because through Jesus' sacrifice, God was displaying his goodness and his wisdom. Because through Jesus' sacrifice, God was restoring humanity so that you could come Boldly and relentlessly and persistently and shamelessly to him as a child. 
because that is what you are in Jesus. Let's pray together. Our Heavenly Father, we, we do thank You for Your Word. We thank You that You have given us this Word to be a light unto our path. And Father, we confess that we have often been bitter against You because we have felt like You were withholding good things from us. But Father, take us to the cross. Allow us to see what good you were doing when you refused to answer your son when he cried out, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Father, I pray that we would be reminded that even as Jesus spoke those words, that we would be reminded that he was forsaken so that we could know that we can never be forsaken if we are in him. I pray that you would help us to understand And deeply convince us in our cold and hardened hearts that you are a good and wise God who loves to give good gifts to your children, who gives your spirit to your people in order that humanity would be restored, in order that we would be who we were meant to be, children of the living God. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.